Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up, you'll be hearing from Becky Pippert. She wrote a popular book on evangelism over four decades ago. In light of sweeping changes in our culture over the last 40 years, she has some pertinent things to say about how Christians can share their faith. You'll be hearing from her coming up. Plus, David Chadwick of Moments of Hope Church in Charlotte has a desire to help Christians deal with anxiety in their lives and offers biblical direction in addressing it. Some of his comments are ahead. Then some insight from Pierce Brantley, an entrepreneur who emphasizes the idea of calling and differentiates that biblical concept from a person's vocation. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing some analysis from Wesley J. Smith of the Discovery Institute relating words of caution concerning trends in bioethics that threaten constitutional freedoms and run counter to the Christian pro-life ethic. Finally, it's Morgan Snyder. He's experienced quite an adventure during his life, including a coming-of-age story following his college graduation and seeking the counsel of dozens of godly men, including John Eldridge of Ransomed Heart Ministries, with whom he works now. You can learn more about his journey ahead. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Rebecca Manley Pippard is heavily involved in evangelistic ministry and in the late 70s wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. She has had the opportunity to travel the world and to live in the UK for a number of years. Becky Pippard has observed dramatic shifts in our culture, yet Christians are still commissioned to share our faith. With that in mind, she has written a new book called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. She spoke with me recently about that, and in our conversation paid tribute to the late Ravi Zacharias, who wrote the foreword of the book. Here now is Becky Pippert from that conversation. God has always used the weak and inadequate. He's the great evangelist, not us. But we've got to learn how to celebrate our smallness and depend upon God and depend upon all the the resources he's given us. So the first obstacle is is understanding it's okay to be weak and God is going to use us. Second thing I always hear is, well, I just don't know enough. I don't think I know the gospel well enough. I don't know how to defend it. Second part of the book is not just the means, but the message. What is the message? What do we do when we get pushed back? How do we respond? What What do we say? So that's another thing I hear all the time. And then the third thing I always hear is, I, I'm just not confident. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid. And I don't even know how to start. So the third part of the book is exactly dealing with this. You know, people always say to me, well, I, I just, um, I, I, I'm so afraid I'll offend. Well, then tell them. Say, you know what? I don't like Bible bashers. And if I'm coming on too strong, would you just let me know? What are they going to realize? You're normal. <laughs> You're not a Bible basher. Or what if they ask me a question I can't answer? It's going to happen all the time. So what do you say when somebody asks you a question I can't answer? What a fantastic question. I haven't a clue what the answer is, <laughs> but I can't wait to find out. Hmm. We've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. And then we need to know how do we connect. Um, and I think one of the things that's so important, regardless of the, uh, who it is and what people's resistance to faith is, I was just 
talking to somebody on the plane not too long ago, and she clearly wanted to talk, kept asking questions, so I put away my materials, and I prayed a quick prayer. Prayer is foundational to evangelism. And I said, come Holy Spirit, help me, open my eyes, show me how to connect, let them connect with me. Secondly, after you pray, find common ground. You know, we need to connect authentically as human beings. And this woman, as I asked her questions, it was very clear. Our connection point was we were world travelers, and we were fascinated by travel and cultures and all of that. Now, why that is so important is that when you authentically connect with somebody, then when they find out you're a Christian, they can't put you in a box. They already like you. (laughs) But the other thing, Bob, is we've got to ask questions. And one of the things, you know, she began sharing with me all kinds of views, and she goes, well, I think people everywhere are good. Now, you don't say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, look at human history. You say, well, what I said, I said, well, tell me, what do you think about the state of the world since people are all good? And she went, oh, the world's a mess. It's falling apart. And I said, okay, so help me out here. How can people all be good and the world be a mess? And she went, that's a very good question. (laughs) And she goes, well... I think our problem in America is we're either addicts, we have addiction issues and we need rehab, or we're psychologically wounded and we need therapy. Don't you agree? Now, another thing we've got to learn, agree where you can. She's right. We are psychologically wounded. People do have addiction issues, but that just doesn't go deep enough. That's the issue. So I said, you know, I really do agree that we are, we have these problems, those solutions of help. But I said, what if somebody is in rehab and is recovered from their immediate addiction, but they find out the addiction issue is actually deeper than they thought? They're addicted to themselves. What do we do when we find out we've got a heart problem? What do we do when we find out we're addicted to ourselves? And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, I agree with that. I'm addicted to myself, and it's exhausting. But, Becky, Hmm. where do you go for rehab for the heart? Oh, my goodness. Did you notice that I used her terminology? I I didn't yet say the problem with sin. Where do you go from rehab for the heart? And I said, well, you know what? I said, um... The only answer I have ever seen is God. And I said, I wasn't raised a Christian. I, I, I was an agnostic. I said, but it was really my becoming a Christian that really answered that problem. But that's a long story. And she goes, no, 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 I want to hear that story. Then we were able to talk about faith, and I could share the gospel. Becky Pippert here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website Becky Pippert, P-I-P-P-E-R-T. David Chadwick is founding pastor of Moments of Hope Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. In our recent conversation, he discussed how to deal with anxiety from a biblical perspective as he expresses in the book, Moving Beyond Anxiety, 12 Practical Strategies to Renew Your Mind. From that conversation, this is David Chadwick now. The book was conceived that I that I just finished, uh, Moving Beyond Anxiety, was released in late April. The idea was conceived a year and a half ago, and teen suicide was mostly attributed to anxiety. Uh, it was the major negative emotions that adults were experiencing. So 
since I have a, a counseling psychology uh, graduate degree plus my seminary Bible and theology degrees, my publishers asked me if I would do a book on anxiety. And Bob, little did we know that a year and a half later, we would be amidst the greatest pandemic that our generation has ever known. And it's been like pouring gasoline on the embers of anxiety that already existed. It's anxiety on steroids right now. So the problem has never been greater. And, and we're seeing people uh, fearful of their own personal lives, losing the lives of loved ones, losing their economy, losing their savings, um, you know, losing anything and everything that they've known. And, and we should add to that, people are fearful of losing their freedoms. They think maybe there's overreach now with the medical reports that are given. So that fear has gripped people's hearts. And I've never seen this culture so anxious, so fearful about anything and everything. So you're right. What a chance for the Church of Jesus Christ to step into that space and to care for those in need, but also, like you said, give them the hope of the gospel of peace to let them know that Jesus sits on his throne and that he's not only in control of what's going on now, every area, because if one atom is out of control, then every atom is out of control. Jesus mm. controls everything, and we believe that he's sitting on his throne, and therefore we also, in trusting in him, have the gift of eternal life by grace through faith. And when we can give people that gift, the fact that Jesus is sovereign and also he gives us the gift of eternal life, we can abate a lot of the fears that are out there right now. As I understand it, one of those 12 strategies to renewing your mind is to focus on faith. So talk about how developing that faith mindset can help us overcome these thoughts of fear and anxiety. Well, you're hitting on the key, Bob. It is actually essential that everyone take every thought captive. And, and what that means is you don't let them get into your mind. We do an evaluation of what thoughts we're permitting to come into our minds. What are we watching on television, for example, whether it's CNN or Fox or whomever, what bleeds leads. They're trying to create fear for us to watch. So we need to be aware of that and turn off the TV fast from television. We need to watch what we're reading on social media. If we're constantly being bombarded with blogs and other pieces of information that create fear in our minds, we've got to stop there and say, no, I'm not going to read that information. And then we make the decision to fill our thoughts with faith, faith-filled thoughts. Well, of course, that's from God's Word, but that's also from other sources as well. That's making sure the friends who give us input into our lives are positive friends, giving us faith-filled words. It's also reading stories of people who have overcome larger problems even than this pandemic who do so with hope, and they then create faith in our hearts. So we make ourselves aware of what's coming into our minds that's creating fear, spear that, get it out of our minds, and then replace it with thoughts that are filled with God's hope, God's peace, and God's faith. And another one, Bob, that I would mention is fill your mind with thoughts of thanksgiving. Make sure you spend a lot of time being thankful. When that anxious thought comes in, goes, no, I'm ushering that out. I'm going to focus on all the things in my life for which I can be thankful. And it's amazing when you start doing that, your heart starts being filled with gratitude, with hope, and, and with a real sense that God's in control. And if I got through this once in my past, I can get through it again, that you know this will pass and I can make it on forward. David Chadwick here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the book by going to the church's website. It's momentsofhopechurch.org. 
Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's author, entrepreneur, and Fortune 500 consultant Pierce Bradley. He's authored a book entitled Calling, Awaken to the Purpose of Your Work, offering a biblical perspective about the concept of one's calling and how it's related to a vocation. Here now from that conversation is Pierce Brantley. You know, first off, I just want to say my heart goes out to those folks that are in that position. You know, I've certainly been in that position before, and um, uh, it can be it, it can be trying times. You know, the word that keeps getting said is it's unprecedented, and I I believe that, and I and uh, I'm praying for those folks. But the, the reality is, we we serve an unprecedented unprecedented God, and so, you know, I would first I would say the great thing about calling. And the great thing about discovering the things that God wants us to do is they're not really seasonal, meaning, you know, his calling is a, a gift that he gives to us and, and doesn't take back. One of the things we talk about in the book is that, you know, work is not a job. It's actually a spiritual attitude. It's a posture towards a job. And it's something that gets ignited once we come alongside the Lord. And the second thing I would say is that, you know, oftentimes we you know, we lean into our jobs as kind of as, as a way of trying to find meaning. And then we don't find that meaning. Uh, it oftentimes kind of pre, you know, provides kind of a, a position of angst in our lives. And so oh, I like to call them Moses moments. You know, we hope to kind of, kind of have a time in life with God would download something to a specific. And then from there, everything is clear. Well, the reality is from the point that we've come into Christ, we've actually been called. And we've been called to do great works alongside God. So that's good news in the sense that if you're kind of reevaluating, you know, what you should be doing in terms of career or a job, a called career, meaning, you know, partnership with the Lord to do great things is something that transcends um, our work. And so if you're in that position right now where you're kind of wondering, you know, what should I be doing next? You know, that's a really good time to start coming before the Lord and saying, you know, what could we be doing together um, and thanking him that, you know, he doesn't recede his calling when maybe our jobs don't look just the way we want them to look. Does a job necessarily have to be consistent with one's calling? In other words, could someone be maybe working at a job, but yet that's not necessarily his or her calling, if you understand where I'm heading with that? Absolutely. So, you know, the calling, we talk about something in the book called the five fruits of calling. And it's basically five ways you know whether or not you're operating within your calling, regardless of what the job actually looks like. And this is really important. That way we don't kind of confuse God's favor in our lives with the type of job that we necessarily have. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. So I, uh, uh, when I was moving out of ministry, uh, I was actually really young in my, in my early 20s. And I had to take a job, and I had no way of, of providing for myself. You know, it was a complete career shift from doing basically what equated to youth and schools ministry and then moving into something new. And so I prayed, and I said, God, you know as well as I do that I need a job, um, but uh, I don't necessarily, you know, know what to do. So the next day, I'm um, hanging out with some colleagues. A guy walks in. I haven't seen this person, this individual, in well over three months. Looks me in the eyes and goes, Pierce, do you need a job? Doesn't know anything about my situation or my current standing. Of course, I say yes. He says, hold on just a second. Call somebody up on the phone. I'm quiet. I don't talk for about five minutes. I don't think I breathe or anything. Uh, Puts his phone on his chest and goes, can you start tomorrow? 
of course I could start tomorrow. I needed the job, right? And so it was a miracle that God provided for me. The work, however, was not exactly the funnest work in the world, um, unless, you know, you're a daredevil. So I was working on the tops of skyscrapers, patching, you know, those, wow. those uh, you know, parts in the skyscrapers where like wind gets through or they start to separate or, um, you know, glass leaks, that kind of thing. So not a glamorous job by any means, but it was a job that God had definitely miraculously provided at my point of need. And oftentimes we work in jobs like that where we feel like, well, you know, the job provides, but the job is not exactly uh, maybe inspirational or exciting. Pierce Brantley here on The Intersection. You can find him by going to the website piercebrantley.co. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. Just go to the programming section and you'll find a link to The Meeting House homepage. At that homepage, there's a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download conversations from the Meeting House program. Plus, you can find the Intersection podcast there in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Conversations from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Learn more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or when you visit the programming section at faithradio.org. In the drop-down menu, there's a link to the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection podcast, Wesley J. Smith serves as Senior Fellow at Discovery Institute, where he heads up the Center on Human Exceptionalism. In a recent conversation with me, he highlighted some concerning trends in the field of bioethics, trends that conflict with the Christian worldview pro-life ethic and exhibit a threat to constitutional freedoms. Here now is Wesley J. Smith. One was called the Independent Payment Advisory Board, uh, which was to set uh, Medicare reimbursement schedules, and it was uh, quite an extra-constitutional approach. That board did not have the uh, ability to ration as originally written, although it was set up so that that could be the next step. And in fact, you had uh, um, pe- people from the Obama administration who'd left the administration writing in the New York Times, we need death panels and this kind of thing. Uh, the the IPAB, thank goodness, has been repealed by a bipartisan vote because it was just the institution of a technocracy over healthcare ruled by experts. And, and that's not how this country is supposed to be done. We're supposed to, you know, of course, pay attention to people who know what they're talking about, but we engage in democratic deliberations. We don't turn our decision-making and our public policies just blindly over to quote the experts, who by the way are often wrong because a lot of these issues are very difficult that they deal with. Uh, and and uh, so the death panel never actually occurred but there was there were attempts uh, in the Affordable Care Act, for example, to use uh, the concept of of a basic health care system as a bludgeon to promote certain uh, social agendas. And that's how come <laughs> nuns ended up in court, because they were being forced to uh, pay for contraception, which, of course, violates Catholic uh, religious teaching. Uh, and you had the Hobby Lobby case where uh, a. a um, private company, uh, the owner's religious belief said, I can't provide these uh, certain drugs that could be abortifacients. 
And the only reason they won is there's a, a federal uh, statute called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that the Supreme Court found that the, the regulation passed by the Obama people violated with regard to Hobby Lobby. But if uh, but that is the approach that that many in bioethics want. They want uh, top down central control health care. They want the experts deciding what are the standards of care that people receive. They even uh, in a re- and recent article I put in, um, in National Review, um, Ezekiel Emanuel wants to control your health care and people can go to nationalreview.com and find it. Uh, he even has said that. Doctors who oppose abortion for religious grounds have to do it anyway because it is an accepted procedure in, uh, in, in general medical field. He's against medical conscience. So you're going to see in this kind of a system not only uh, doctors and uh, you know, certain religious beliefs broken, but doctors forced to take human life uh, if, if they get their way, because, even though uh, they may have a religious objection. And so this kind of thing gets very worrying when you end up with a slouching toward technocracy. And this COVID emergency, you've seen there have been a lot of people saying, well, let's just let the uh, experts decide. No, that's not how this country works. We listen to the experts, but they don't decide. And there are variables that we have to deal with. For example, will people get sick? Will people commit suicide if their business collapses? Mm. You know, what about the increase in opioid uh, deaths, opioid overdoses because of despair caused by depression uh, and so forth? There's a lot at stake here, and you can't just turn our decision-making over to one type of expert, such as an infectious disease expert. Talk about what you're seeing in the, as we might say, the bioethic community that you find to be rather concerning. Yeah, the bio, bioethicists, uh, it's been a field that's been going since the 70s. Um, they are looked to, to as the so-called experts in the field of uh, public healthcare, public policy, and medical ethics. And the problem is that the most influential among them are the people who are at Harvard, the people who are at Oxford, the people who are teaching the doctors of tomorrow and the nurses of tomorrow, the business leaders of tomorrow. Many of them, and I would say most of them, do not believe in the sanctity of human life. Unless a bioethicist has a modifier in front of his or her name, such as Catholic or Christian or Hippocratic oath believing or pro-life, uh, most of these bioethicists uh, will take a more utilitarian approach. Uh, and this duty to die uh, uh, issue, and it's certainly not accepted by every bioethicist, but, but this fellow wrote this article in the Hastings Center Report. His fellow, the bioethicist is named Harding. And the Hastings Center Report is important because your listeners may not know. There is a whole level of publications and and discourse happening above the popular uh, understanding. Wesley J. Smith here on The Intersection. You can find him online at discovery.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Morgan Snyder. He serves on the executive leadership team of Wild at Heart and Ransomed Heart Ministries. In our conversation, he documented parts of his journey after he committed his life to the Lord, including seeking the counsel of some 75 men to speak into his life, including John Eldridge of Ransomed Heart Ministries. He also shared principles related to his book, Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man. From that conversation, this is Morgan Snyder now. We all have a kingdom, every person, both man and woman 
we all have a realm where we have say, where we want done is done. I mean, we all have a space that's entrusted to our care. It starts with our body and our imagination. It starts with our will. We decided what we had for breakfast today or whether or not we didn't. We decided um, that we are going to engage in this conversation across the nation. There's places we have say, and that's intended to grow in ever-expanding measure. We're meant to be entrusted with more and more. It's, it eventually includes the care of people, of children, of families, of companies, of organization, of, of communities. And the question is what we've done with power. You know, Dallas Willard said the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. And Bob, here's the dilemma. We are designed to be entrusted with power. The gospel is a power-sharing proposition and partnership. It was the first job description given to Adam and Eve where it said, after he made us in his image, he said, let them rule over all of creation, the fish of the waters and the birds of the sky. Let them exercise a sort of fierce mastery. But the story we find of most of humanity and what we find often in our own soul is power misused, power mishandled. And so I came to this question of how do we become a true king in God's kingdom, a true queen in God's kingdom, where we can rule bringing a strength rather than bringing a broken heart that has to use people and things to answer the unanswered questions in our soul. God is deeply desiring to entrust us with power. And it, men and women alike in very gender-specific ways. And if we get on the Internet right now and we Google search the news stories, I actually did it this morning, of the top ten stories, seven of them had the primary theme of power being mishandled mm. and misused. There's nothing new under the sun, Bob. But I believe that if we take seriously God's invitation to respond and to participate, with the slow and steady process of restoration, we can become wholehearted as men and women. We can be, grow an intimacy with God that becomes moment by moment way of living. We can become the kind of person that God can entrust with more and more of his kingdom. It has always been available. And in every generation, there is a remnant that say yes to this way. And it's not quick. It's not easy. It's not cheap. But Bob, I can assure you from 20 years of working with men around the globe that it works, it leads to life, it leads to joy, and there's more available for those that are thirsty. Where do people miss it, and where do you believe that we in the church are missing it? Yeah, I think that's, that's really important because I think we oversimplify um, our understanding of what is available in the Christian life. So often it gets distilled to a simple set of theological statements of a prayer to pray. It becomes far centered around salvation, which is essential, but it often stops there. And therefore Christianity becomes a gospel of sin management and tips and techniques. Mm. When in fact it was meant to be a relationship 
that's centered in a constant process of apprenticeship where we mature and become more and more solid. It's like a tree, Bob, that it starts in an acorn. The mighty oak, you know, it's hidden in the seed of an acorn, but that acorn must be planted in good soil. It must be tended to. The weeds must be removed. And over time, the design is hidden within that acorn, but it must be cared for in a habitat in a way in which it can become a mighty oak. And I think most men have too much kingdom and not enough character, too much responsibility, too much building, and they haven't become the kind of person to handle it. And so I think to turn the world on top of its, uh, you know, upside down and follow the way of the kingdom, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, is I believe the path is first to excavate. Morgan Snyder here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website becomingaking.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can go to listen to or download full conversations from the Meeting House program. Plus, you'll find the Intersection Podcast in the Media Center. There's also a link through which you can subscribe via iTunes from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. You can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.